Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. As you all know, I'm a strategy consultant by trade. I partner with CEOs and their teams to create valuable companies, as well as senior executive vice presidents, uh, to transform departments and divisions. I have an exciting time getting into their story, their path to value and helping them either accelerate it or reinvent it. I'm always intrigued how consultants and other disciplines and practices do their trade. What is it they think about? What journey did they go on to be able to learn the things their customers need? And what kind of stories are they telling about today's environment, both in their uh, industry and, and the world? I, um, I first met Matthew Dimmick in what is called the whole Holy Individual Leadership Development uh, Friday session sponsored by Dr. Rob McKenna and Dr. Daniel Halleck. Uh, their company is called WILD, standing for that term, that phrase. And, and one of the givebacks they do is a um, free afternoon session on the East Coast and morning session on the West Coast where they just bring people together from all walks of life, all various levels of profession. Uh, and Dr. McKenna goes through naturally a series of things that he's thinking about in terms of leadership. And, and, uh, and I got to hear through a series of small groups, I got to hear bits and pieces of the story of Matthew Dimmick. And here's a guy who's not just practicing his trade, but also investigating uh, his own leadership development. Matthew, welcome to The Great Conversation. Hey, Ron, thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. You know, most people don't understand wholly what a senior consultant does in your trade. Can you kind of frame it for us, what a senior consultant is or should be able to do in this marketplace? Sure. sure. So, um, so a senior consultant is, is really simple, right? It's just somebody who's been consulting for, for a while, right? And what do, what do consultants do but help people solve problems, right? Or help people um, fix things that are going wrong in their space or maybe that they want to improve in their space. And so... That's kind of what I do is I, I help people with those with those items, um, bring solutions to bear, kind of staple things together and hopefully they work out for them. Does that make oh, sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Now, let's go back in time a little bit because what what is that old saying? It was on the McDonald, the old McDonald Douglas corporate headquarters and that is past is prologue. That is past can predict or anticipate the future. What in your past led up to the moment where you could get in front of a customer as a consultant and take on that trusted position? So um, I've been doing this for, for quite a while. So this, this might take just a hot minute, but uh, we'll try to get through it pretty quickly. Um, I was in the military and in the military, I did uh, military police. I was a canine handler, so I did narcotics. I did explosive detection, um, lots of fun things like that. Um, 
then I left and went to the National Guard where I was on a weapons of mass destruction um, counterterrorism team. They called them CSTs or civil support teams for a while. Um, that took me up to um, basically 9-11. And when 9-11 happened, I was working as a police officer at uh, Fort Dix in New Jersey. And I was deployed with my guard unit um, for the initial, the initial response activities. So I went up to Liberty State Park. I was doing a lot of uh, logistics coordination and, and things along those lines. Um, and it kind of just pulled me into that community a little bit more deeply. Um, deep enough that I left the police job, took a, took a, just on a whim, took a contract position at, um, for New York City OEM and for FEMA, um, helping with the response and recovery operations for about four months. So I was everywhere downtown from the checkpoints to the temporary morgue and the family assistance center all over the area. Um, looking for explosives primarily was the, was the role um, that I had taken. And as that contract kind of came to an end, I found myself no longer with a job as a police officer, which you know most people would be like, wow, why did you do that? Um, and with wanting to do more about um, what had happened, trying to keep it from happening again. And um, how do we do that, but jump in with both feet? And um, so I spent probably 10 years or so of my career um, helping with the redevelopment of the World Trade Center in one way or another, from security master planning to um, some of the site design, all the way up to the 10th, uh, 10th anniversary memorial ceremony where I helped with some of the uh, some of the screening of people that were going to go into the memorial ceremony um, for that to happen. Um, and as you do that, you kind of have to take the best of both worlds, right? Your high risk facility, but it also has to be open to the public in a lot of places. And you're pulling all of those things together. Um, and I, I just got to, I got to really like it. Um, through some work on Wall Street and um, with another service provider that I worked for for quite a few years, um, I had the opportunity to take that on the road. Um, so I've been to about, I think it's 24, 25 different countries right now, um, doing everything from large data centers and corporate campuses to military installations and, you know, intelligence centers. So a um, lot of, lot of interesting things and um, every one of them could be a story. So hopefully that was nutshell enough for you, Ron, but. Well, what, what I'm going to do is, is try to summarize and connect some dots here. Uh, what, a, what, a, what an interesting ride. And when you made that pivotal decision, I no longer am going to have this nice, secure police officer job. I'm going to take a flyer on a contractor position, which is temporary. It's going to be a, a few months. And there's something that pulled at you. And it it wasn't just curiosity on, a, on new skills and new trade. Something pulled at you during that 9-11 event. Tell me what that was. Am I right? Um, it was, right? So I think uh, there's, there's only a few events in your life 
that kind of change your change your direction, change your perspective, and change how the way how you look at things. Um, you know, and and from from that event, particularly from some of the first the initial days that I was there, um, the faces of people, right? They kind of stick with you. Um, the desire to help, right? The desire to do something to make that not happen again is what really kind of pulls at you. Um, I think everybody who goes into the military or law enforcement or, you know, any of those associated fields has that same kind of draw that they, they want to do something good, right? They want to, they want to help people. They want to make society better. They want to contribute. And it's a, uh, it's a great thing. And I think that we're each just given our different paths to do it. And that just happened to be, happened to be my path. Um, you know, you walk through the open doors, right? Instead of pulling on the closed ones. I love that, Matthew. Thank you so much for that because, you know, fundamental, fundamentally, philosophically, you hope to meet people who believe they actually were designed for impact. They're not here for whimsical purposes. They're designed for impact. And what a way to state it and bring your background up to date. So now, now you're taking all that experience and you've been consulting for a while, but let's, let's come to the current state of mind of the customer, right? Okay. The, the people you serve today, it's been a long time since 9-11. It has. What's different and what's the same? Well, other than a lot of people retiring, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, that tends to happen in any industry after 20 years. Um, you know, I, I would say that some of the things that are different is the amount of um, the amount of new technology that is constantly being thrown at everybody. Um, you know, technology is an answer for a lot of things, but it's not the answer for everything. And I, I think people sometimes forget that. Um, so I would say that's definitely one thing that's different on their minds is, um, how can I use the latest technologies to improve my operations, reduce cost, show that I recognize that I'm part of the business and that the business matters and not just security matters. Right. And, um, I think in the years just after 9-11, in those first, you know, five to 10 years, security was everything. It was, you know, everybody and their brother wanted their employees to feel safe. They wanted this, they wanted that. And they were willing to spend a significant amount of money to achieve that. As we get further and further away from those types of events, those budget lines get looked at differently. And it becomes more about the value that we maybe not add, but the losses we prevent, the, um, the facilitation of activities um, that come out of security services um, and you know, come out of security in general, I think is what people are looking at now. It's how can we spend our security budget better? Um, and still accomplish what we need to accomplish. That, and of course, there's this whole work from home thing um, that, you know, if we forget about what happened in the last year, 
um, then we'd be neglecting where we're going in the next five because as that digital transformation happens, um, I don't really like to use that term because I don't really think it was a transformation. I think it was just um, somebody pushed on the accelerator a little bit. Um, but as that happens, what does, what does the new client look like? And is it still a physical security issue or is it much more converged that we're getting into? Um, so security, resilience, right? So start considering things like climate and emergency preparedness in your resilience planning. Um, cyber, all of those things just kind of converge into one point. Um, in the next few years, it's, it's gonna get uh, more converged, I think, not less. Well, what's really interesting about watching these, we'll call them cycles of innovation, right? In our practice, that is the discipline of how we think and in our implementation of solutions, you know, what's important, what isn't, what's baseline, what's basically a cost item that we're willing to bear. And as I listen to you and, and, and listen to others in this space, um, they all talk about this dance between the value, they, for years now, talking about the value of the business versus the risk mitigation, right? Mm -hmm. As if they're two different things. And, and you right. just pointed out something. And I, I don't know if everyone caught it. You're trying to say it isn't two different things anymore. They should be one in the same. So how are you teasing that out? in your great conversations with your customer base and your peers, how are you teasing that out these days? What, what is the story you're beginning to tell your customers and what stories are they telling you? So it's, it's interesting. Um, when, when we start to talk about the customer and how, how we get those interactions and how we handle those interactions, um, I've started to take more out of the playbook of places like IDEO um, or Google Ventures, um, that, that user-centric focus of, you know, if, we're, if we don't keep the users in mind, then it doesn't matter what systems we develop, they're just not gonna work. They're not gonna get the results that we want. And so I started this whole philosophy that I push and it's called security design thinking. And it's, it's basically taking that design thinking aspect, right? So if you think of your UX or UI developers, taking the same processes that they go through from workshopping and you know, having the discussions with the users about what they want from their system and, and how they want that to look and bringing in stakeholders at the right points and having those discussions um, to give something back that supports the business rather than takes away from it, is inconvenient, is bypassed because it just doesn't, you know, doesn't work, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times on some of the assessments that I've been to, and you're, I'm talking, you know, some of the more secure data centers in the world, some of the more secure, I, I went to a, a military installation, I won't name names or country, um, but they had doors with all of this access control and cameras and everything else on it. And you see the wood door chop stuck into the door to hold it open for everybody and the, the can for smoking right next to the door. And it's like, obviously you're not considering one, your users, right? And then two, if it's that hard to get in and out of your door, people are clearly gonna bypass it. 
Um, so what else can we do to facilitate that, right? How can we make life easier, but still be more secure is, is the balance. So yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I think it was pretty close, but. Well, actually it, it's fascinating. I actually don't believe I've ever talked to anyone in the industry who brought up IDEO or Google Ventures and would conduct a, a UX workshop, probably not calling it that, but uh, a, where you go through that methodology and it's brilliant. It's counterintuitive because you want to go right to the fix, which is just, let's just find out the risks and how to mitigate them and how much is your budget, right? And, and you're not doing that. You're saying, let's see if I can translate. You tell me. If a fully functioning organism called a business or a nonprofit or a government, a fully functioning business is about how people, <laughs> right, yep. act and experience their process and measure it and improve it over time. And if we're taking your general assumption that anything that affects the business, the people, the process, and the technology like security and resilience and safety needs to be integrated into a holistic picture, not just a separate silo. If we yeah. take those basic assumptions, you've got to bring in the business early. Of course. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Who thinks that way? No, no. In our industry, that is hard for our practitioners to do that. It, it is. It's because of, it, it's so it's where we come from, right? We come from a, a more reactive state where we're we're constantly ready to go in and fix stuff, and it's it's we want to get right to we want to get from A to Z, and you know whatever happens in all the other later letters doesn't matter as long as Z works out for us, right? And it's it's funny because there's so many things that can be addressed or found in a pro in a program from just a couple simple questions, right? So one of the ways that I start an engagement, right, is I, I ask two really simple questions. Um, the first question is what's driving us forward, right? So if you think of it as a, uh, you could think of it as anything, think of it as a plane, think of it as a, as a hot air balloon, right? So what's lifting our program up is the hot air balloon. Um, and then what's pulling our program down or what's holding our program back? So it's an anchor on a sailboat. Um, it's the sandbags on the hot air balloon, right? It's really easy to visualize that. And you throw it up on the board and you ask the good question first. What are we doing really well? What's working? And a lot of people don't start with what's working, right? They want to go right to what's wrong. But by starting with what's working, you get people who are one, willing to talk, right? Because you break through that first, like, oh, I'm nervous if I say this in front of my boss, it's gonna make me look bad, right? So you get somebody who's willing to throw out how great they're doing in certain areas. Then when you say, okay, what's holding us back? What's a problem? They're also more willing at that point because they've already said the praise, they've already, they already know that they're, their boss or their whoever they're dealing with, their leader knows the good that when they say something that's not going too well, um, that they're asking for resources, they're doing it in a way that they want to improve 
And so since they're trying to make the program better, they're more willing to share that way too. And you can get so much from just talking to people that way. So, but let's go back to your original uh, statement though, because you didn't discuss who's in the room. So if it's a security manager and his boss, let's say it's a CSO or a CAO or a CLO, but those two are in the room. How do you, do you add to your sentence? Do you say, what is working for your stakeholders, the business right now in terms of security? How do you bring the business back into it? Like you said from the beginning. I, I don't think you, I don't think you exclude it from the beginning, right? Okay. So, so it's not, it's not the security director um, and then nobody else in the room that you're having the conversation with. It's who are the stakeholders, right? That's the first thing that you have to identify is what is the business? Who are the people that should be in on these discussions and what do we have to accomplish? Obviously the higher level, the higher support, um, the executive buy-in, which is, you know, moniker for basically we're going to go to the boss and get money um, in the industry is what it's become. But, but that executive buy-in, that pulling those people in and saying, look, this is what we want to do. This is how we envision helping the company as a whole um, is by going through this process, going through this workshop. And it's basically, it's, it's humbling, right? Because there's a point where you're kind of opening the, the kimono to everybody and saying, this is where we are. This is where we want to go. What do you need to get there, right? Like what, what, what are we doing that needs to be improved on? Um, is a, is a very hard question to ask. And it's hard to ask personally, right? It's if, if we talk about personal development, cause you bring up wild, which is a lot about personal development. And it's one of those, it's one of those same things, right? You, you have to sit there and take stock of yourself, right? Or in the case of you know security, take stock of your program and ask yourself valuable questions, right? So that you can determine whether you're on the right path or not. And that's the first part of it, right? Then the second part of it is, okay, now I know that I'm not on the right path in this area, this area, or the other area. Now I have to do something about that, right? And that's where action comes in. Um, and so there's a lot of ties between the way that I like to handle security program reviews and the way that the coaching industry as a whole tries to handle individual development, right? So it's, it's tracking, it's continual improvement processes, um, what went well, what didn't go well. It's focusing on questions and then actually listening, right? Because a lot of people don't listen which I think is probably one of the bigger points that we have to get across, right, Ron? Yeah, and so uh, everyone listening, you, you get listening in on this great conversation by my fireplace with a glass of wine, right, Matthew? We're, we're, we're sitting here truly in, a, truly, in a, truly in a conversation, unscripted. So uh, in, in the wild discussions we've had, there's a, a similar state, state question that's asked and so I'll let you all fill in the blank. Maybe Matthew can when it comes to how he thinks about his customer. But often it'll go, what would it look like if, 
<laughs> right? What right. would it look like if? Now, that does a couple of things. It teases out risk. It teases out opportunity. It teases out imaginative and creative and innovative thinking. That, that's a beautiful prelude to, mm-hmm. you know, what would it look like if? And uh, we, we, we've been practicing those on Friday, right, Matthew? We've been practicing those on Friday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good, you know, when you, when you start to get to that, that look and, and I, we've had a conversation before Ron about you know, what you think the future looks like, right? Because you, you have these conversations with CEOs and with all of these business leaders all of the time in, in your role. And so, you know, I kind of sit back sometimes from the security side of the house and, and I wonder that that same thing what would it look like if I knew what Ron Mormon knows about what the business is doing and what CEOs are looking at and what their concerns are? Um, because there's value that can come from that too in having conversations with security leaders. Um, you know, what executive staff is looking at, what, the, what my neighbor is doing is an incredibly important thing in security um, is is what my neighbor is doing, and I know that that sounds kind of weird, um, but it really is. If if my house has cameras and all these nice locks and everything else, and my neighbor's house doesn't have that stuff, I'm I feel more secure, right? My my house is probably less likely to be burglarized than my neighbor's house who doesn't have any of that stuff. Um, if all of my neighbors have that, then I better probably go that same road, or else I'm the weakest link. Right. So it's that it's that same thing. It's it's just where the information comes from. And it comes from interactions like this. It comes from, um, you know, discussions like like wild. It comes from um, I do the I do my models on LinkedIn that I talked to you about um, that, you know, I, I throw out a model on Monday. I say, here's what I think about this. And I, I do it graphically. So it's really easy to follow. And I just ask other people to comment on it or um, tell me what they think or what's missing. And I think that that's how we learn is by having other people, right? Because you can't be great at everything. Having other people who are better at some things tell you what they think about your model, what they think about your program, what they think about whatever. It's just a huge benefit. It really is. So everyone, what would it look like if we spent our lives asking questions that get us to the truth of who we are and the truth of where we live and the truth of what we do? This has been a great conversation with Matthew Dimmick. Matthew, thank you so much. This has been fun. It has, Ron. It has. Thank you so much for having me.